Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Zion on this third Sunday after Pentecost. A few things to share before we begin our worship. First, there is a correction for your bulletin. Uh, grief share on Wednesday begins at 6.30, not at 6. So. Um, no change there, in case you see that. Uh, the newsletters are in your mailboxes. If you haven't picked those up, please pick them up on your way out. Uh, a reminder for council members that there will be a brief council meeting following worship in the fellowship hall. So please gather up there for, for a brief meeting. Uh, and also please this week be in prayer for our VBS. VBS starts tonight. So pray that we might minister well to all the children and all the families that God sends to us this week. And the time of VBS might be a blessing to them. Uh, you'll also see that there's a congregational meeting scheduled for July 10th following worship. So all members, please plan to stay for that congregational meeting as well. A letter with details about the meeting should go out to you this week. Are there other announcements, other prayer requests for the congregation? Yeah, Gary. I'd like to have a special prayer for Rose as she undergoes another scan tomorrow, and we're praying that uh, her cancer is in remission, and if not, she'll have to go back on immunotherapy. Yeah, keep Rose in your prayers tomorrow as she goes through another scan. If there's nothing else, I'll invite you to take a moment to prepare your hearts for worship as we listen to the prelude.
benediction. I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captives to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to God's people on earth. Sovereign God, ruler of all hearts, you call us to obey you, and you favor us with true freedom. Keep us faithful to the ways of your Son, that leaving behind all that hinders us, we may steadfastly follow your paths through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. The first reading is from 1 Kings. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. So he set out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. There were twelve yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? He returned from, the, from following him, took the yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
We will read responsively Psalm 16. Protect me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my good above all other. But those who run after other gods shall have their troubles multiplied. I will not pour out drink offerings to such gods, never take their names upon my lips. O Lord, you are my portion and my cup. It is you who uphold my lot. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My heart teaches me night after night. I have set the Lord always before me. Because God is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. My heart, therefore, is glad, and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your holy ones see the death. You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The second reading is from Galatians. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For those are opposed to each other. To, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. The Word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. 
but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as far as you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I invite you to be seated. Children, I invite you forward. All right. I uh, was looking this week in our house, and I saw this funny-looking plant. I don't know if everyone can see it, but what's wrong with this plant? It is like it's not. It's healthy. It's not wilting, but it's bent over completely in one direction, right? I don't know if you all can see that. It's bent over. Do you know why it's like that? No, that's not why I did that. That's a good guess though. Well, so when this sits, it sits next to a window, right? And so the plant itself is bending all the way over toward the window, right? It's growing toward the window. And so rather than going straight up like a plant's supposed to do, it's bending itself to grow to the window. Why do you think it's going to the window? That's where the light is, right? And plants need light to live, right? So it's growing toward the light, it's bending toward the light. It's trying to follow the light. Well, I was thinking here in our gospel this morning, Jesus tells people to follow him. He says, follow me. And one of the reasons we follow him, and he wants us to follow him, it's kind of like this plant. Right, this plant is following the light because the light is its life. It can only survive with the light. Well, Christ is calling us to follow him because he is like our light, our life. Right, if we are the plants, he is the sun. He gives us the life that we need. So he says, follow me. Right, and that's meant to, we're meant to hear that as good news. We're meant to hear that because... Christ gives us all that we need to live, to be forgiven, to be joyful in this life. So we follow Christ, just like this plant follows the light. Let's pray. Lord, always let us follow you. Lord, always let us follow you. And be our light and life. And be our light and life. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, 
We spent two nights in Holmes County, an Amish country. And it struck me while we were there just how different it is to be a tourist in Amish country rather than actually being Amish in Amish country, right? As a tourist, I can drive around. I can watch the Amish work in their fields or hang up their laundry on the line. I can give them a friendly wave as I pass them in my air-conditioned car while they're traveling to work in their buggies. I can walk around their shops, eat a great deal of food. I can be in Amish country, but then again, I'm not really in Amish country, right? I am just a tourist. I don't have to make the sacrifices they do to be there. I don't have to commit to their community, their way of life. I get to see it, be fascinated by it, and then in a couple of days return to my perfectly modern home that's connected to the grid. As a tourist, I can pick and choose what about Amish country is fun and relaxing, but to be honest, I can't really claim to have been in Amish country or to understand what it is to be Amish. Well, the question our gospel poses us this morning is if we're following Jesus on a pilgrim way or if we're just mere tourists on the way. In the book of Acts, early, early on, before Christians are called Christians, before there's Christianity, the Christian faith is merely called the way. Christians are meant to be pilgrims who follow Jesus. They're not meant to be tourists who travel on their way on their own terms. And the history of the church being on the way was often symbolized through religious pilgrimages. Pilgrimages are not something we tend to value much anymore, especially not as Lutherans, but there was a time in church history when pilgrimages were important acts of devotion. Christians who had the means journeyed from Europe to Jerusalem so that they could walk where Jesus walked. Famously now, even some Christians still walk the Camino de Santiago on the way of St. James, which is a 30-day hike to the Shrine of the Apostle in northwest Spain. Even in our own Lutheran story, Martin Luther made a pilgrimage to Rome as a young priest where he began to really see some of the abuses of the church at the Vatican. Pilgrimages have always been a way of stepping out of our stuck routines and assumptions and begin to see a new way, a new way of life. And so in the Christian imagination, journeys became pictures of the Christian life where one begins to understand life as a journey closer and closer to God. Our gospel from Luke 9 this morning is really two different texts, but they both pertain to pilgrimage, both pertain to journey and to the way. So first, we're given the picture of Jesus, who in this text is the image of the perfect pilgrim. Jesus has set his face, in other words, he is determined. Nothing will deter him. He has set his face to get to Jerusalem. We, of course, know what happens to Jesus in Jerusalem. At first, of course, he's welcomed with great acclaim, but in a few short days, he'll be arrested and crucified. But that's why Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to go to the cross. Jesus' arrest Jesus on the cross is not something that just happens to him, but the cross was always the reason for Jesus' ministry. 
The cross was always the reason Jesus became flesh for us. Jesus' pilgrimage on earth was always about that journey to the destination of the cross. In Luke 9, just before our text this morning, Jesus tells his disciples, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering. But then we're told that the disciples do not understand. They don't know what Jesus is talking about. And so the disciples began only to guess at why Jesus is taking them to Jerusalem at this point. But almost assuredly, the disciples imagine that they're going to Jerusalem with Jesus to be seated in power. They believe Jesus is going to cleanse the temple and sit on an earthly throne in Jerusalem and restore Israel to the days of King David, and they get to be part of that powerful display. But in truth, they don't understand the pilgrimage they are really on. And so Luke 9, verse 51, which started our text this morning, is really the beginning of Jesus' pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He is on the move from Galilee, and so the most direct route from Galilee, where Jesus spends nearly his whole life, to Jerusalem goes through the region of Samaria. And so many Jews from Galilee avoided that route and they would take a long way around because Jews were not well received in Samaria. There had been centuries of disagreements between the residents of Samaria and the Jewish people by New Testament times. Jesus, however, does not avoid Samaria. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus brings his words of grace to a Samaritan woman at the well. In our gospel, however, we see that the disciples are surely suspicious of the Samaritans. And when the Samaritans don't welcome Jesus there, James and John ask Jesus if he wants them to call down fire on the Samaritans. Do they want, does Jesus want the disciples to destroy those who don't welcome him there? Jesus, of course, rebukes them. But the whole story is an illustration for us of the fact that the disciples do not understand. The disciples at this point are more tourists along the way than true pilgrims who hear the word of Christ. They want to see Jesus on their own terms, not his. They want to see Jesus who serves their conveniences, their desires. Jesus is not traveling to Jerusalem to destroy sinners. So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem to die for them. Jesus is going to the cross to take the wrath on himself that these Samaritans deserve. Jesus loves these Samaritans, even though they don't recognize him and they don't welcome him. And the disciples do not yet see that the cross is truly the final destination. For Jesus, then, everything is to be seen through the lens of the cross. The cross is the destination. The cross is the reason for the journey. The cross is the hinge on which the whole world turns. The kingdom of God, the gospel, and God's power and mercy are only to be understood first through the cross of Christ. And yet the disciples did not understand where they were going. The second part of our gospel reading then focuses on what it looks like to be a true pilgrim who follows Jesus on the way to the cross. It focuses on what it looks like not to be just a tourist who follows Jesus 
on his or her own terms, but to follow Jesus to the cross. It tells us the conditions of the pilgrimage we are on as Jesus' disciples. And so Jesus' words can be difficult because he says clearly, there's no time even to bury your parents. He says you should not expect to have a nice home on the way. You should not expect to be well received. He says even if you were to follow him, there's no time to say farewell to your family. And his point is really simple for us. The life of the pilgrim has a singular focus that overrides everything else. If you were to go on a pilgrimage yourself, you would have to have a destination in mind. A pilgrimage, by definition, is about getting to a place. Now, there might be interesting sights along the way. You might meet strangers on your stops. You might encounter beautiful vistas and landscapes to admire. But if you are just on the way to sightsee, well, then you're just a tourist. You're just wandering at your convenience. Jesus' point is that there is, in fact, a destination when we follow him. And that destination is the cross. Everything else is seen through the understanding that the cross is where life's meaning is to be found. The cross is where we are going to encounter God most clearly. The cross is where we best understand ourselves because the cross is our redemption. The cross is where we are truly made who God made us to be. And so if we go back to the difficult words of Jesus, because if you really want to be Jesus' disciple, your best understanding of what is good in this world will not be found in the comforts of this world. Right, a man in our gospel comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. That seems exactly right. It seems like this guy gets it. But if we don't understand that Christ is going to the cross, then we will fall away. We can think about St. Peter here who says, Lord, I will never deny you. But when it comes time for Jesus to go to the cross, Peter denies him. Jesus is telling us if we are expecting to be disciples of worldly comfort, of acceptance, then we are not truly going to be with him on the way. And so another man comes to follow Jesus but says, let me bury my father first and then I will follow you. And Jesus responds, let the dead bury the dead. If our families, our friends, and our communities come to define us more than the cross, then again, we're not disciples on the way. To be on the way is to allow the cross to give meaning to everything else. This man wanted Jesus to wait for him. He was telling Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem yet, but wait for me. Wait for me to do my familiar duty. But Jesus is clear that his face is set for Jerusalem. There will be no waiting, because the cross is where he has come to reveal God's love for us. The life of faith is the life of being able to trust in Jesus first and to understand that everything he has done for us is there at the cross. The Christian life is that pilgrimage, that pilgrimage that calls us to leave behind everything that obscures our vision of the cross. The Christian life is not just cheap religious sentimentality that says, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. 
It's not the kind of religion that says, hey, you don't need to change. You're perfect the way you are. If we just claim to be a Christian because it occasionally makes us feel better, then we're not pilgrims on the way. We're just religious tourists. If we claim to be Christians but are really just trying to make our spouse or our parents happy with church attendance, then again, we're just tourists along the way. Instead, Jesus invites us to be pilgrims on the way. That is to follow him, to understand who you are is found at the cross. And to be a pilgrim on the way is to keep our eyes on him. It's to keep our eyes on the crucified Lord and to confess that the way of Jesus is really the most precious thing in this world. That's the way. And that is what Jesus wants us to hear this morning. There is one destination for your life. And it's found at the cross in which he died for you. Yes, there's meaning along the way. There are important people to meet along the way, lessons to learn, beautiful things to see. But the way itself is all about the cross of Christ. It's all about what God has done for you. Amen.
Together, let us stand and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. God of our salvation, when your son set his face to Jerusalem and the cross, his zeal would not be deterred. Grant us to pray with the same fervor and boldness, trusting that you hear us for the sake of Christ our Lord. Lord, in your mercy. God of the church, you give pastors and church workers to proclaim your steadfast love, to announce freedom from the yoke of slavery to sin, and to point all toward the cross of Christ. Bless their faithful work, that their labor in the Lord may never be in vain. Lord, in your mercy. God of compassion, you establish the family to be a place of protection and growth. Grant that our homes would never become a stumbling block to the kingdom of God, but that they would serve to foster within us the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, in your mercy. God of all power and might, to you belong the kingdom and the glory forever. Give insight and wisdom to our President Joseph, our Governor Richard Michael, our legislature and magistrates. Direct them to punish evildoers, reward the righteous, and strive for peace. Grant that Christians may live quiet and peaceable lives in this land. Lord, in your mercy. God of refuge, your salvation draws near to all who trust in you. Grant peace to your people and show us your salvation. Hear our petitions for healing, strength, and comfort. For Denny, Steve, Nancy, Ray, Amanda, Marilyn, Nancy, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, and all of those this morning who mourn the loss of Landon. Be near to all of these as the refuge of the weary and the God who promises to persevere with his people. Lord, in your mercy. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, grant that the whole church might fix her eyes on him. Teach us the way of the cross, remove hindrances and distractions, and do not let the freedom we have in the gospel become an excuse for sin but an opportunity to love one another. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you.
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made for the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Serve the Lord.